actors are used to go to great lengths in order to try to get into a character. Here are some examples from recent years. In uh, the beautiful biopic Ray that depicts the, the, the life of Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx, who is playing Ray Charles, wore prosthetic eyelids, leaving him blind for most of each day. And occasionally he was inadvertently left alone on a set, the crew just totally forgetting that he couldn't see and he couldn't find his way about. He also learned all the piano parts and lost 30 pounds in one week for the role. In her role as Fantine in Le Miserable, Anne Hathaway shaved her head, lost 25 pounds and subsided on a daily diet of two thin squares of dried oatmeal paste. In his role in The Pianist, Adrian Brody, I think he actually won an Oscar for it, he familiarised himself with hunger and isolation. He moved to Europe, bringing only two suitcases of personal belongings and leaving, living on a, on a meagre lifestyle. He lost 30 pounds and took piano and dialect lessons. And here is what he said, what Brody said. There is an emptiness that comes with really starving that I hadn't experienced before. I couldn't have acted that without knowing it. I've experienced loss. I've experienced sadness in my life, but I didn't know desperation that comes from hunger. These actors really wanted to get in their character. They wanted to give a depiction as accurate as possible about the character that they're trying to transpose under the screen and make it come alive for our own viewing and inspiration. And they were willing to go to great lengths, sacrifices, in order to get into character. I wonder if you ever thought about What would it take for us to become more like Jesus? What would it take for us to become more like Jesus? What would it take for us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus in such a way that people would mistake us for him? Obviously not for him. There will be things about the way we speak the way we behave, the way we think, that would remind people of Jesus. And that's what discipleship is all about. And this is the cultural value I want us to look at this morning. The value of being a discipling church. A church that has a culture of discipleship. Discipleship is just that. It's actually surrendering our lives to Christ and allowing Jesus to come into our lives. Transforming them from the inside out into bearing a greater and an increasingly greater resemblance to him. Let me read to you some verses from Acts chapter 2. The context of this, Jesus had ascended into heaven and before he did that, he asked the disciples to remain in Jerusalem and await for the promised Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they would be empowered 
to witness about him. They gathered together and on what in the church is celebrated as the day of Pentecost. There's a supernatural manifestation of God's power that attracts the attention of all those who are watching. And while that's happening, Peter stands up and preaches a sermon explaining to people about who Jesus was and explaining to them that everything that's happening is in order to get their attention and encourage them and invite them to come and be disciples of Jesus. And as he preaches, he goes through the Old Testament and enables people to understand what God's plan had been all along and how Jesus fits into this plan. And then he gives them a challenge for them, not just to be watching in awe as admiring spectators, but he invites them to become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. A disciple, the Greek word is being used to describe a disciple is just somebody who is an apprentice who is trying to follow in the footsteps of his master. Here we go, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 onwards. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, all those that the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. Let's stop here for now, because this is the first and probably most significant in ingredient of being a disciple of Jesus. Somebody might say, what? what is a disciple of Jesus? How do you get to be a disciple of Jesus? And here it is, the first and most important ingredient. A disciple of Jesus is somebody who makes a decision to surrender their life to Jesus. They make a decision to surrender their life to Jesus. That's what those people did. They heard Peter tell them about Jesus and who Jesus was and what was his purpose of coming into the world, dying for their sins. And then he invited them to come to Jesus, to surrender their lives to Jesus. So Jesus coming into this world is in order to be a substitute, somebody who takes our place. We were the ones that rightfully deserve to die for our sins. Yet Jesus dies once and for all, for all of us, in order that we be forgiven and receive his salvation. But Jesus doesn't just come to be our saviour. He also wants to be our king. So he doesn't just want to clean up our life from sin, but he wants to come into our life, rule in our life, in order to change us from the inside out. So that actually, we don't just get forgiven for the sin and then continue being sinners, but actually we begin to be transformed from the inside out with a new life, with a new way of thinking, with a new way of talking, with a new way of behaving. And that's how we become disciples of Jesus. And they understand this calling and they ask Peter, what must we do? They're cut to the heart. That's an expression that probably says that they had been touched by the message and prompted to ask a question, what can we do about this? 
It's almost as if they realized that they were in trouble and they needed a solution. And that's when Peter points them towards Jesus saying, repent and be baptized every single one of us and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is not just about forgiveness, but it's also about a new life. And a new life comes only as we surrender to Jesus. And he's saying to them, look, it's about repentance. And repentance is really a 180 change of direction. If I'm going in that direction, if I'm repenting, I am turning around and moving in the opposite direction. And spiritually speaking, if my direction previously to meeting Jesus was one where I was embracing lies and anger and hatred and lust and greed and anything that's awful, selfish and hurtful towards me and other people and offensive to God. When I'm repenting, which is what Peter is saying to them, I'm turning around and I'm embracing a life of love, gentleness, purity, encouragement, selflessness, service. You get the idea. That's what he's saying to them. Make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. Leave your old life behind and begin to live a new life. And this has to be personal. It's something that you can't take it corporately. It's not as if those people said, oh, we're part of the crowd. Well, we're OK. No, it was a personal decision. It was a, an immediate decision. It wasn't something that they could wait on. They didn't say, hey, you know what? We're going to come back in a couple of weeks time and we hear more about it. No, they said, we want to know what we must do. And Peter was saying, you've got to make a decision right here and right now. And this decision for them was costly and public through baptism. These were grown up people. These were not children. They were taken by their parents and their godparents to a church ceremony when they were, I don't know, six weeks or six months old. No, these were adults who publicly, through being baptized in water, they were demonstrating their new allegiance to Jesus, leaving the life of sin, getting cleansed, the symbolism of the water, getting cleansed from the dirt of the past and actually has come out of the waters as a new person, somebody that the New Testament describes as a new creation. And that's what's happening here. They make a decision to surrender to Jesus, to leave in order to embrace, to let go in order to start afresh. And this is a living advert done publicly so everybody can see and hear about their decision to follow Jesus. I love what John MacArthur is saying about our, our decision to follow Jesus. And he says, Jesus is not offering a makeover. He is offering a takeover. Jesus is not offering a makeover. He's offering a takeover. A lot of people misunderstand and they think, oh, well, you know, I'm kind of adding Jesus like you would add spices to your food. I'm adding Jesus to my life alongside other stuff. It doesn't work like that. Jesus is into all or nothing. And Jesus is designed not just to come and be a tiny little part of our lives, but he wants to come and actually take over. He doesn't want to just uh, do a bit of a makeover tarting up of us, but he wants to take over and change us from the inside out. And it starts with that decision. What must we do? And Peter is saying, repent and be baptized, each one of you personally, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the new life. The new life isn't lived in our own strength. It's lived as the Spirit of God comes and indwells us and enables us. Again, the New Testament talks about gifts that come with the Holy Spirit to enable us to serve God and other people. It talks about fruits that the Holy Spirit is bringing in our life, the character that he's developing. We are not on our own, but we're called to make a decision to surrender to Christ. How do you become a disciple of Jesus? By surrendering your life to Christ. But it doesn't stop there. So if you follow the text and see what's happening there in verse 42, it says about these new disciples of Jesus, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in a temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's not just about a decision to surrender your life to Jesus, but it's also about a determination to continue in your spiritual growth. So you take an initial decision, but then you begin a lifelong journey of a determination to grow spiritually. So this was intentional. It says they devoted themselves. Nobody pushed them. They devoted themselves. It was an intentional, voluntary decision to grow. And it had a plan. And it's highlighted here by the different things that were happening there. And... Although this was a personal process, the personal process was embedded in the community of faith. We cannot grow spiritually in a healthy way unless we are embedded in a community of faith like those disciples were. That's why you can't say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It doesn't work. In fact, Jesus calls the church his bride. So we're pretty offensive to say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your bride. The two are part of the same process of growth that God is using to grow disciples. You see, the spiritual practices that we find here, and I'm going to highlight seven areas where there are some spiritual practices that are signs of a growing disciple. They are means of grace. They, they, they are gifts God has given us tools, if you want, to help us to grow spiritually. And the amazing thing is that the vertical is intertwined with the horizontal, that there's an intertwining that goes on here. So our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with other people. It doesn't work in a vacuum. And that's what you see in those seven spiritual practices. I'm just going to name them and highlight them and encourage you to explore them for yourself personally and also in the conversation that you're going to have in the connect groups as you look at them. The first one is this spiritual passion. Number one, spiritual passion. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Devotion is a strong word that describes an intentional passion. They didn't just have a part-time course. There was devotion there. And I would suggest to you that a great sign of somebody who is a healthy disciple of Jesus is that there is spiritual passion there. You never get to the point where you feel like I have arrived. I am the finished product because I've clocked on 20 years or 30 years of becoming a follower of Jesus. No, the hungrier you are, no matter how many years you've been on this journey, the more that's the sign 
that you are a healthy disciple of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed by the apostles. You see, while you have this spiritual passion and it's manifesting the way they embraced teaching, they embraced communion, they embraced prayer, they embraced gathering with other Christians. They were passionate about that. But also there was a sense in which there was an evidence of supernatural ability. That's the second thing. There's a supernatural activity going on there. There should be something about every disciple that isn't just man-made. That our life should not be just explainable by our own efforts. There should be something supernatural from the outside that should mark our lives. And that's the signs and the wonders that were being performed by the apostles. It says all the believers, third thing, all the believers had to, uh, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Sign number three. Sacrificial generosity. If you really are a growing disciple, you'll be marked by sacrificial generosity. If you and I are marked by a selfish stinginess, that's probably not a sign that we're a healthy disciple of Jesus. So they were very generous and gave to everyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in the homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoy the favor of all the people. A fourth thing is they had a joyous gratitude. It says here with glad and sincere hearts. They broke bread with glad and sincere hearts. There was a joyous attitude about them. And again, the mark of a growing disciple of Jesus, there is that joyous attitude, not uh, some sort of a cheesy uh, don't worry, be happy. Life's fine. I'm kind of dying, but nevertheless, I'm just going to pretend. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. But they were filled with a joy, a supernatural joy that wasn't dependent on their circumstances. But because of their relationship with God and because of what they had in Christ, they were overwhelmed with a sense of joyous gratitude. Number five, uplifting praise. It says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Again, those who are growing disciples of Jesus are marked by a life of praise. And well, I always think a church, and it can, it can look different in the, in, in, in the way it's, it's being portrayed. But if you go to a church gathering of, of followers of Jesus and people are bored stiff and inactive and lacking any sense of gratitude because of the salvation that comes from him and a desire to praise and magnify this amazing majestic God that we can get to call our father if that isn't there when we gather together there's something wrong about our discipleship uplifting praise was the fifth mark the sixth one it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people there was a positive public engagement, a positive public engagement. They didn't just meet together in homes, but they also met in the temple and they were enjoying the favor of all, all the people. And he says the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. There was a positive public engagement. That's sign number six. Again, a church that is confined to the physical walls of its building or of their group 
is not a church filled with healthy disciples. Healthy disciples always break out into a local community and engage positively with the local community. Now we will see later on that they were also persecuted, but they also enjoyed favor with the local community. So persecution is not necessarily a sign that things are wrong with the discipleship and things are not going to be easy all the time, but there is a sense in which people saw something in them that was attractive and enticing, a sign of a true follower of Jesus. Just like Jesus, he was loved by so many people and he was magnetically attracting others who were intrigued by his teaching and his deeds, but also others were filled with hostility towards him. So that would have been fairly normal. If you're a follower of Jesus, those kind of things would happen as well. Last one, number seven, there were perpetual spiritual birth happening. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There is a perpetual spiritual birth births happening. There's, there's, there's a consistent flow of new life. There are new followers of Jesus being birthed every day. Every day, my word, every day. What an amazing thing. That's the sign of healthy discipleship. If there is spiritual reproduction. If there are other people who become disciples of Jesus because I am a disciple of Jesus and I'm excited about being a disciple of Jesus and I'm introducing other people to be disciples of Jesus. You get the idea. If there is no fruitfulness, if there, nobody else is interested in Jesus because of my life, there, there are some question marks about how real my discipleship with Jesus is really about. So personal spiritual passion, I'll recap them. Evidence of supernatural activity, sacrificial generosity, joyous gratitude, uplifting praise, positive public engagement and perpetual chain of spiritual births that is happening. And that's our passion as a church. That's my passion for myself. It's my passion for you. It's our passions as leaders in this church that we would be a discipling community, a place where we grow as disciples of Jesus and help others to grow as disciples of Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we do. So what does this mean for us practically? I think more and more I want us to sound and look and act like Jesus as the life of Christ is being formed in us. We want to keep on growing and I want us as a church never to stop growing both spiritually and numerically in terms of more people finding Jesus and growing as disciples of Jesus. We want to be growing disciples that grow in God's word. But I pray that that wouldn't be just education, but it would be transformation. Not just accumulating knowledge, but actually receiving a power that comes upon us to help us to think in new ways, to talk in new ways, to act towards those around us in ways that resemble Christ-likeness. We want to be growing disciples who are not just consumers, but are contributors. Healthy disciples will never be those that selfishly always want things their own way, but they always think about being a servant just like Jesus, the master, was a servant. If we are a discipling culture, we're going to be those people who will prioritize intentionally our own spiritual growth and we will provide opportunities and margin in our life 
to enable to come alongside other people. So simply put, this morning, really, how are you doing on your discipleship journey? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? Do those seven trademarks that we've seen of the disciples, early disciples in the book of Acts, do they resemble your life? What do you need to do to grow as a disciple of Jesus? I mentioned the fact that it can't happen while we have personal responsibility individually and we need to be intentional about that. It can't happen in a vacuum. How are you connected to your team, to the church? You know, it's important for any sportsman or any sportswoman to train on your own, but it's also important to train with your team, particularly if we're talking about team sports. And living the Christian life and discipleship is a team sport. So how are you connected with that? Let me ask another one. Maybe you're doing really well at those, but who are you coming alongside? Who are you taking under your wing? Who's probably a little bit new to this way of Jesus, to this discipleship journey. How are you helping them to be able to understand and grow into becoming a disciple of Jesus? I love what somebody said about this. They said, discipling someone is walking them through life and teaching them to perceive all of life's experiences with divine insight. That's what discipleship, it's not a class on a Thursday night or on any other night. It's not two hours of reading a book. It's interpreting life with the mind of Christ. I love this. Who are you doing this with? Who are you helping to interpret life with the mind of Christ as you walk with them, as you take them under your wing? Because that's God's calling. My prayer is that this morning our hearts are filled with a greater passion to be disciples of Jesus, to resemble Jesus more and to have an incredible influence in the life of those that maybe don't know him yet. So maybe you've never ever even started on this journey. I want to say to you, what a good opportunity this morning to actually do what those early disciples did when they asked the question, what must we do? You, you might be asking, uh, asking that question. What must I do? And I want to say to you what Peter said to them. Repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God's calling for you. And that's what you can do. Repent, be baptized and be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Why don't you take this step today, right now? You can just pray after this message. And maybe the rest of us, we really can take hold of God's heart that really wants to grow us as disciples of Jesus. Look through some of those things and ask ourselves the question, how can I grow? And also, who can I take under my wing to encourage? We all who have started on this journey should be grateful because we've had people that have come and made such a huge difference in our lives. As you think with a heart full of gratitude about those people, how about you becoming somebody that does that for somebody else? May the Spirit of God enable us to be such amazing, ordinary, yet passionate followers of Jesus, that the world around us takes notice. And he doesn't see us, but he sees him in us. This is what I long for, and this is what I pray for.
Amen.